Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, a podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, patient-centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voices most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Natasha Washington, president and founder of ATW Health Solutions and sponsor for the Patient Partner Innovation Community. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. I am your host, Desiree Collins-Bradley, and I am excited to continue the conversation with Ms. Gilbert. You guys, hopefully you listened to part one. This is part two of our series of talking to Ms. Gilbert. So we're going to just jump right on in to the conversation. And, you know, we talked about medical malpractice and her association and the advocacy work tirelessly that she has done in our community. But you know what? There's more. So she has chosen to run for the state of Texas governor. So I want to kind of, you know, take a pause and say, I'm going to clap that up because I think that is Definitely needed and awesome, but I want to just kind of let you tell our listeners why you're running for governor and what do you hope to achieve? We're not going to say if, we're going to say when you're elected. So why am I running? I'm running because my daughter, first of all. I think that that is what drove me to this particular arena. And it was all based on the fact that Once I found out about the tort reform, I reached out to several legislative leaders to try to talk to them about the issue and that, you know, we needed to change some things so that patients were also safe, but also that doctors too would be safe. However, the pendulum had swung too far over and that the only people that were being protected were the doctors. Now, I would always say that what really the repeated refusal, actually, to take constitutional safeguards that protect individuals from immoral equality was really my defining reason for running for governor. We couldn't get it right after since mm-hmm. 2011. And even mm-hmm. before me, you know, there were many people yeah. that I met along the road, even before my daughter that we are still sitting at the same place where we're still not given any type of constitutional safeguards in our healthcare system. And 
when I could not sit down with those that were making those laws or and even those that could change those laws, I was like, you know what? I need to do something. And I know that the governor has mm-hmm. this. And I always say the governor has the pen. He, he has the have. pen. And he has chosen not to deal with the healthcare industry. And so I'm like, you know, this is why we're in the predicament that we're in in our healthcare is because we don't hold people accountable. Mm-hmm. So my reason for running is just that, you know, that repeated refusal to not give us some safeguards is my reason that I'm saying, you know what, Deirdre, <laughs> you need to run for governor of state of Texas. <laughs> now, does that make sense to me? I mean, you know, at, at the very beginning, I, I'm shaking my head because I, I'm not a career politician, but in 2018, I did run for Justice of the Peace in Precinct 2. Okay. And it's pretty much sort of the same reason why I jumped in that race is when I found out how the system was actually taking advantage for those that were less fortunate. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. shaking my head that, you know, these are the industries and the entities and the people that we put our trust in, that we are putting on benches and that we are putting in places to handle our livelihood and they don't care. So here I am. Well, you know what? I, I You know, <clears throat> we are at ACW Health Solutions. We're currently partnering with the Office of Minority Health, Health and Human Services on the national level to really look at several different areas, but the Black youth and mental health space. And so we took a step back and did an environmental scan and really looked at the policies and the procedures that are in place that really aid to, and people think that, oh, that doesn't connect to healthcare, but it does. Mm -hmm. It's all on a systemic level. So Mm -hmm. the point you made about, you know, the politicians, who we put in office and what they do with the stroke of that pen directly affects healthcare. Mm -hmm. Healthcare. I tell people from the boardroom to the bedside, it affects healthcare. So I'm glad that we have a voice for the patients you know, mm-hmm. running for governor, because I think patient voice is often ignored. Mm-hmm. And we don't see the connection between health policy and government to health care. Yes. And really, what does that look like? But it is clearly we've seen in our environmental scan, you know, that is connected housing policies, prison policies, school policies, you know, it, it all affects the health care patients. So, you know, the hope is that as we continue that project, we'll be able to come up with suggestions and, and offer some changes because mm-hmm. we can't, we cannot do this alone. We're going to have to partner with each other to really come together and come up with something better so yes. that we don't have egregious medical errors. Yeah. And, you know, you brought your daughter into the emergency room and passed away so egregiously. Like, what policies can we look at that will that we can change today, you mm-hmm. know, to make that, those situations better? So, you know, you know, there are many healthcare policies that support systemic racism that have lasting effects on medical injustices. Do you feel patients, and this is, I'm thinking about patients that maybe don't have the capacity to run or even think they can run for office, how do you think they can become more involved in health policy? So on my website, 
-hmm. on what we do. And there are several initiatives, as I said. There are two things here. There's a group that's called the Greater National Advocates. I partnered with that group. And Bradley Swartz is an attorney. Bradley Swartz was a victim, actually, of medical negligence. He was an attorney who fought on behalf of the hospital systems. And he went in for, he said he wasn't feeling well one day with his family and his family had been somewhere. And he went to the hospital and he said he began to scream while he was in the emergency room. When he woke up, he had no limbs. They had taken his limbs. He woke up with no limbs. No limbs. And he said that was probably about three months later Mm -hmm. when he, you know, kind of got himself together. And Bradley went to discuss with us that he asked to look at his medical records to try to figure out what actually happened. And Mm -hmm. when he looked into his medical records, he saw that they had actually put in there that he had refused an antibiotic. Now, they did not know he was an attorney that had actually fought on behalf of hospitals for medical negligence. So he understood everything. So he created this group. He came on board. I met him. We went to Washington together and he created this. And it's a network where if you want to become an advocate, you can actually go through training in your particular field of healthcare. And I would say that that would be a great way to sort of kind of get involved in policy changes or being able to help. The policy change in itself is going to require them talking to their legislative leaders mm-hmm. and not just talking, but we're going to all, you're going to have to be so forceful now, in my opinion, yeah. that you're going to have to keep them accountable or they need to get out, get out of office. We're going to have to get Correct. to a point where we're no longer accepting this type of behavior and That's that right. we're going to have to have people who are not just waiting till legislation is created because, you know, by the time we see it, we should have known about certain things mm-hmm. way before we see it on TV That's or way right. before your legislative leader says, oh, you know, they passed that because it has to go through a process mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. didn't just come up overnight. So. Literally, we have to have, we have to make our legislative leaders accountable. You know, patients should not feel threatened and not be afraid to ask questions. During That's the right. time, Ooh, yes, you ask know, questions. ask questions regardless of whether or not the doctor or whoever else wants to answer. You have the right to ask questions. You have the right to know if something is, is going to harm you or not. You should be able to ask these questions without any, you know, body saying that I'm not going to tell you. We have access to the Internet. Mm-hmm. That Internet has a lot of information mm-hmm. as it relates to health care. And at this point, I'm going to say as it relates to what we're talking about, it may not be tainted yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, <laughs> once we get to talking about it. It may get to a point where you start searching for stuff and that you only Mm -hmm. see a one-sided story like we do now. And and I'll say that in another thing, but that's a health policy where we're going to be talking about COVID. Mm -hmm. And, and, And I think I thought of COVID as anybody that had been diagnosed with cancer. I would say we had the right to ask questions and no one did. 
we didn't, we didn't have a right to ask questions. We were just told. But with yeah. everything else in healthcare that you are involved in, you ask questions. Mm-hmm. We got to have policies here at the place that will allow us the freedom to ask mm-hmm. questions without being shunned or without stating that we're anti this or that. Because that keeps us healthy. Mm-hmm. By us being able to have informed consent mm-hmm. of our health. And That's this right. is what we need. And so patients should not feel afraid to speak up. Patients should not be afraid to ask questions. Patients are able to ask for medical records. And mm-hmm. there should be policies put in place where hospitals are not hiding documentation and telling you you can't have your medical records so that you're not able to see what they've done, Mm -hmm. yes, you should be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And this is where medical injustices come from because you're not able to even know what someone has done to you. It seems so, a concept that's so far out there. It is. It happens every day. It happens. Even during the time of of COVID, they put in... um, the PrEP Act. And in, in the PrEP Act, they were told that hospital, well, I'm going to say hospital systems were granted waivers. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. waiver was that they didn't have to keep any documentation during COVID because they felt like it was going to be too much and that they were going to be busy. So Whoa. there is no documentation being done for COVID patients. Not that. It's scary from people that, you know, oh my, this makes me look at things so differently because, and I'm being fully transparent. We have lost, I can't tell you, I'm just going to say in the past, I would say six months, not even six months, I'm going to say three months. We have lost about five people that were really close to the cuff to our family and friends to COVID without much of an explanation, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's, and nobody's, I guess, when you're going through the grief process, you don't question. But now I'm like, okay, what really happened? Because number one, they can't have family at the bedside because of COVID no. restrictions. So usually families are there to kind of catch those near misses or see mm-hmm. errors happen. Yes. But now patients are dying alone at the bedside and there's no one there to advocate for them. And now yes. you're telling me that we're not documenting. Like, there's no documentation. Oh and this was one of the things that I've been working on behind the scenes again, is that I had gotten a call where well, my cousin just died in Florida. And this was very crazy because she was talking to her brother. And then the next day, we couldn't find her for three days. And once we found out where she was, they said she was in ICU and that mm-hmm. she had requested to, to get on a ventilator. So I don't know anybody who's going to ask to be placed on a ventilator. And if you can ask the question, then I don't think Mm -hmm. you need to be on ventilator. However, my cousin at the time, her brother, he was actually, he has tapings where somebody came in the room and did something. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, let me call you back. And then when she called back, she was very distraught. And she said, they're, she said, they're trying to do something to me. And, uh, and after that, we never heard from her again. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd also got a call from a lady that's from Florida. She's a, a journalist. And mm-hmm. two of her friends actually passed away in the hospital as well. 
but she's now getting calls where people are now starting to say, hey, hey, wait a minute. We got questions. We don't know what's what's going on here because mm-hmm. we're talking to our family or we can see them and the next thing we know, they don't. There's no yeah. conversations being able to be met. And I've been working on this because mm-hmm. when I was finding out that during COVID, that they mm-hmm. were allowing reps from pharmaceutical reps into nursing homes, into hospitals, and also into surgeries. And they were letting media go in to take pictures. How I was very concerned. So I wrote to the governor of Texas, yeah. you know, and asked him, how is it that some people can go in? If COVID is COVID, then everybody should be able to go in to see their families. I said, because they were happy. Because once a person is placed on ventilator, that person is no longer able to speak for himself. So you have a person that you have just decided that you're going to do whatever you want to without Mm -hmm. anybody knowing. So these are the concerns that I have as Mm -hmm. it relates to policies, because the PrEP Act was written before we actually knew there was COVID. It was put in place February the 4th of 2020. We were just, we didn't know until March. Well, I'm going to say in Texas, for me, I don't think we knew in Houston or whatever until the end of March mm-hmm. that it happened. But the PrEP Act, they created, and not only that, they gave them full immunity. Then from full immunity, they gave them waivers. Not only could they not just not have to do documentation, but do you know that they could actually have conflicts of interest without having problems? So if they have a company that has a product and they use it at the hospital, that's a conflict of interest. Well, now they're Correct. saying that that's not a conflict of interest anymore, that they can do that without being having any problems. Oh, All of this stuff wow. is, if you go read the PrEP Act, you just have to go okay. look it up and just read what they have. And then they had a um, COVID protocol book. I have mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. it gave all of these things. Even they said nurses didn't have to be have background checks anymore. The doctors could come from one state to the next, which is what we were having problems with in the first place. Right. Before yeah, COVID. Right. But they didn't have to have the they didn't have to have the skill set either. Mm-hmm, simply mm-hmm. means that they were having doctors that were, uh, there was a podiatrist who was actually trying to put in uh, ventilators. Oh, whoa, whoa. So, you know, it sounds like, and I'm going to take this charge <laughs> myself to really start looking at, I'm going to start with that prep bag, but I'm yes. going to really start trying to educate myself and do a, do my own due diligence and a better job of really looking at the health policies and mm-hmm. do what I can do. And, and I urge my fellow listeners yes. and our uh, PPIC members to really, you know, start educating yourself and get involved because mm-hmm. again, we can't do this alone. We're going to have to do this no. together. And this is the reason why policies is so critical is because these things are done in the, done in the dark. You know, mm-hmm. the, before we even, and that should never be done. You know, mm-hmm. 
you have a COVID protocol book. You got everything already created. And we are just like coming in here, not even knowing what we're getting into. This is why health policies are so important, you know, because somebody Mm -hmm. wrote that Mm -hmm. and we need to have committees. You know, we need to have other committees that are sort of like watchdogs over yes. these groups. Oversight. Mm-hmm. Oversight. Yeah. Thank you. Oversight committees. Yes. <laughs> yeah. you know, Call for and, it. And it, before we close, I kind of want to get your thoughts on community partnerships. You know, mm-hmm. we try, we pride ourselves on being collaborative and, mm-hmm. you know, us at ATW Health Solutions, we are collaborative partners with not only public, but private agencies and mm-hmm. entities and healthcare systems. But when you think about, as it relates to, I would say, medical injustice, healthcare reform, what are your thoughts on community partnerships? Should we be bringing this to community? I mean, and what would be those partners that, for others that are listening and like, okay, well, Desiree, where do I start? What community partnerships, where do you think they could start to kind of build partnerships to really I would say get geared up to really fight healthcare reform and partner to improve healthcare reform. Okay, so I'm looking at the question, and when we talk, first thing about the faith-based leaders, mm-hmm. that sort of is that's going to be like a hands-off because mm-hmm. unless you're going to some of your maybe smaller churches that are not 501c3s, okay, anybody that has received a 501c3. Is hands mm-hmm. off as it relates to getting involved in mm-hmm. these types of issues. I do know that some churches got involved in community projects as it related to, you know, having stations put up where people can go get your shot. Mm-hmm. Um, we need community partners, though. Yeah. The question is, and we even need these hospital systems. Mm-hmm. To kind of say, look, you know what? Everybody's not out to litigate. That's right. That's not that's, right. A, that's not the point of the organization is just litigation. However, mm-hmm. if it's necessary, it mm-hmm. should be, you know, we should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. We need to be having com- community partnerships with these hospitals and also making these hospitals accountable. Mm-hmm. for having certain things in place mm-hmm. because we are the community. You know, we're That's the community. Right. We have to go into your hospitals. Mm-hmm. If there wasn't a way where we were allowed to just not choose, you know, and we wouldn't go mm-hmm. to your hospital, but they mm-hmm. fixed it so where some people, some places you go, you didn't even know that they were a part of a, of a hospital systems. And so therefore we're kind of forced to go or be at, you know, yep. participate. But when, right. if we were started to pull patients out of hospitals to go somewhere else where we knew that this hospital really cared about people and, mm-hmm. you know, because you can always, to me, replace a good doctor. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there are doctors everywhere where you can get you a good doctor. So I'm not understanding why you're getting a bad doctor unless you're really thinking about money, right? Yeah. So if that's all you're thinking about, then you don't need to really be in healthcare because healthcare should be about taking care of people and not really the opposite. Yeah. 
We need community influencers. Like you said, mm -hmm. we need organizations such as mine's. We need organizations such as yours. We need mm -hmm. what we need to start doing is, is coming together and mm -hmm. figuring out to become a one big unit mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as opposed to these little small units that are doing this, this, and this. I'm open mm -hmm. to the idea because we need it. Because yep. if we have and, and this is how they work. They have their little sections, you know. And if we had all of what we have, and we have this resource, we have this resource, we have this, this, and this, no telling what we can do. Oh, yes. I got goosebumps. I, you know, ooh, yeah. it gives me chills because, you know, again, it's power in numbers. Yes. And you made such a good point because, all of us, you know, that are committed to health equity, that really are have our sleeves rolled up and we're in the in the in the weeds and doing the work. Mm -hmm. It's strength in numbers. Wouldn't it be great to have a national cohort together? Oh that's, my goodness. That's I mean, exactly my what I'm wheels talking are about. Churning. My wheels are churning. Yes. But I, somebody sent me something of a cohort. Actually, it's for I have a janitorial maintenance service too. So Mm -hmm. Basically, somebody uh, referred me and I'm going to be in a cohort where with a construction company as a mentor where they're okay. up under, you know, I'm up under a bigger agency who's going to help me and to mm -hmm. help provide those services. If we can get hospitals to understand, look, we can, you know, you can get patients. We can get what we need. We need entities where if a person is harmed. Mm -hmm. Can we find help for that person, you know, whether it's mental health or whether another surgeon would be willing to make this right? Yes, Please right. tell me why that won't work. Oh, that's, I, I'm telling you, that's gold right there. And, you know, <laughs> I know we can talk till the middle of the night, but I know, yes. you know, this has been... I tell you, this has been a wonderful conversation. I am so, so blessed that we've had this conversation. It's much needed. You know, a lot of Thank times you. people, you know, we can turn a blind eye or it's the elephant in the room that nobody yes. wants to talk about, but we, we have to talk about it. You know, yes. I, I go back to that old saying, when you know better, you do better. Yes. So, you know, thank you so much for spending these last two episodes with us <laughs> on you. Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. We are rooting for you for the governor of Texas uh, and know that Patient Partner Innovation Community supports you and all that you, you do. And, you know, this is not goodbye, but this is talk to you soon because this cohort has my wheels churning. Yes. <laughs> and and I mean, we need to be willing to sit down, like you said, and let's do that thing. Uh, because yes. with that, let's do it. With it, I think we are we can be as powerful and you know, as strong as we need to be. And that what you are looking for, and I know that that group of disabled um, you know, mm -hmm. the, the disabled group. We need yes. this. We need yeah, this. We need this. We and do. we can change we it. Do. We can change it. So when I become governor, hey, let's, I mean, we can do it before that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but, you know, when, when I become governor, 
We will yes. definitely be working on healthcare disparities, and I am willing to work at making things better for all, not just trying to say, you know, but we have to be remain accountable. That's right. That's we right. have to. That's right. We have to have some sort of accountability, you know. That's and, right. And, accountability that's is key. That's it. Well, well, you know, this has been wonderful. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you so much. We can't get away without thanking our wonderful sponsors and partner in this work, ATW Health Solutions um, and Dr. Natasha Washington. Thank you for all that you do in health equity and evidence-based driven quality improvement. Um, as always, guys, be engaged. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com.